is from Revelation chapter 19. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and the loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, has given, was given for her to wear. Then the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. This is the word of the Lord. We're excited to jump into the scriptures today. We're excited to continue to lean in to the idea of the practice of community, that as a, a new community of Jesus followers, that we would follow in the way of Jesus as we lean in to do life together. And today we're gonna continue to explore that idea with kind of this concept of church, like the gathering of God's people around the table. And so we're just gonna dream and vision and, and even just like let our hearts imagine again what church ought to look like, what church could look like gathered around the table. If you know me, most of you do like fairly well, you will know that I am Basque. In Basque people, does anybody not know what Basque is in the room? I need to clarify this if you don't know. So ba you don't know, you, you are Basque. So that's, in uh, Basque people aren't just like Basque, they're like proud to be Basque. Like this is a part of our core heritage and we love the fact that we are Basque because our heritage, our culture is still very alive and it's filled with songs and it's filled with stories, not all of them good stories. We have our own little group of terrorists over in France, but uh, by and large, we are like proud of our Basque heritage. We're people who come from the hills of the Pyrenees Mountains where France meets Spain, and we have a strong and vibrant community. And the Basque culture in Bakersfield in specific is still very much alive and well. Every Memorial Day weekend, we have a Basque picnic filled with song and dance and food and drink. And my earliest memories of my childhood and of being Basque or being at a Basque restaurant are filled with the idea of food and family around a table. You see, I think part of the reason Basque culture has survived as long as it has, as well and as strong as it has, is the centrality of the table and food to its culture. Yes, we have card games called moose and sports like paleta. We have dancing and drinks like calimocho, but it's at its heart is this long table full of food and family and friends who are like family. I've not been to the new Noriegas. Has anyone been to the new Noriegas? No one? So the old Noriegas, anyone been to the old Noriegas? Okay, yes, lots of hands in the room. Um, so the old Noriegas is set up family style, just like we do songs and stories here where we come, like you go to Noriega's and you sit with your group of people that is also next to a group of people that's not your group of people and you all share food together. It is this family style meal. And I don't know if Noriega's now is set up like that, but at the core of Basque culture is this idea that like there's always room at the table and there's always food at the table. And some people, um, some people don't like this. 
Some people like this idea is really uncomfortable. Breaking bread with someone you don't know well, like, excuse me, ma'am, would you pass the soup, is not something you want to experience as you pay a bit too much money to go out to dinner with your family. And a part of that is because when we break bread with one another, we do something more than share food. We share ourselves. We share a bit of who we are with that person. As Anthony Bourdain said, you learn a lot about someone when you share a meal together. The table, the idea of the table or sharing a meal is a revealing space because it pushes us outside of our boundaries of control and into the lives of one another. Opening your dining table to guests or to strangers is like opening a bit of your life to them sharing a bit of who you are with the person you break bread with. Because you don't just share food, you share a bit of like who you are, at least that day, who you are. And today we are talking about the idea of church around a table, a revisioning as a part of our practice of community, that as we follow Jesus, we envision the church as people pictured around a table. The idea that life, happens around a table. And this is not just like just functional or practical life. This is spiritual life as well. We have a tendency to want to pull aspects of life apart from one another. And I would say that is not at all Jesus's vision for how to live well, but it's like as one integrated being. And I would say that life, including all of spiritual life, ought to happen around the table. And I don't just mean super spiritual things, like if you're a part of a house church or a table gathering, then you're like super saved or anything like that. I just mean that's where life happens. Life happens around the table. The really normal spiritual things like listening well and telling stories and being understood in your hurt and in your pain, those types of things, like those have a bit of the divine in them and they ought to happen around the table with one another. For just a second, think of the older Amish community. Envision like everyone has a picture of what Amish looks like in their brain. Envision that just for a second. And the Amish community is a really stringent crew of Christians. And they actually, what's interesting about the Amish community is actually that they're opposed to the idea of engaging in evangelism, but what they do retain, and I wanna hear this really, really quickly, because it's very different than evangelical or Protestant culture. What what Amish community does is they retain 95% of their children who continue to go on and practice their faith. Almost all of the children raised in an Amish home go on to become Amish and follow Jesus in that sort of way. And a part of that, I believe, is like the elders of the faith and of the family teach their community's faith through songs and stories around the table. This is where the idea of Nashfulji, which means like the younger generation taking place of the older generation in their faith community, this is where it begins. When like their 
The centrality of the Amish community's practice is organized around the dinner table together. It's organized around the, the table where people eat together. Even so, does everyone know what Rumspringa is? Rumspringa is when a kid leaves for a certain period of time and they get to go, with, Rumspringa literally means like run around. They get to go run around and do whatever they want. And then they get to make a decision whether to come back to the Amish community or not. But when a kid is gone on Rumspringa, outside of the community doing whatever they wish, their place at the family table is still set, waiting for them to return. There's this picture of life at the table in the Amish community. And we don't just see this in the Amish community, we see this in, in cult, different cultures across the world, but we also see this in the early church, where the, like the early church, like the table is at its center. But the reality is that from that picture, that idea with the church or with family life even, being having the table at its center, things have changed quite drastically. The table is no longer at the center of family life or of church life. We spoke about this a bit ago when we talked about the church needing to reclaim their identity as family. But at the heart of family, at the heart of church family, at the heart of this family ought to be the table. And it is not just the church that has lost this idea or concept or how valuable the table is, but the family has let go. We have seeded this ground as well. I want you to think about just for a second, 60 years ago, the average dinner time was 90 minutes. And now the average dinner time is 12 minutes. We have lost the art of sitting around the table and the issue is that we have, like, we have not just seated that ground at the table, we have like, seated the place where relationships are formed, where deep and meaningful storytelling of who you are, where does that happen? It happens at the table. And we have let go of that practice. Here are some effects of losing the table in a family environment of losing the table in our homes. And when I say table, I mean like the central place where all of the family comes to do life together. The reality is the number one factor for parents raising kids who are drug-free, healthy, intelligent, and kind human beings, according to the National Center for Addiction and Substance Abuse, the number one factor is frequent family meals. The number one shaper of vocabulary in young children, even more than any other family event, including play, is frequent family meals. The number one predictor of future academic success for elementary age children is frequent family meals. One of the best safeguards against childhood obesity is eating meals together as a family. The best prescription to prevent eating disorders among adolescent girls are frequent family meals in particular that exude a positive attitude. And lastly, the variable most associated with the lower incidence of depressive and suicidal thoughts among 11 to 18 year olds is frequent family dinners. 
You see, at, at the very center of where life seems to be getting away from us is like we've lost the center hold, the centerpiece, the element that actually keeps us all bound together, the, the sharing a meal together, the sharing a long meal together. It's one of the things I love about Basque food is like when you go to wool growers, it's not 30 minutes. It's an hour and a half to two hours. It's just the expectation because this is where dinner is where meals together is where time slows down and we're fully present to one another, sharing life together. Even the way homes are built now has shifted the centrality of the table. Homes used to have two tables, a dining room and a kitchen table. Then we did away with the dining room for what we call the great room and we consolidated dining, family, and receiving areas all into one, or what the New York Times called the McMansion signature space. At the same time, the, the kitchen table gave way to the kitchen island where now stools don't face each other, but we all face forward just to consume food more quickly. I don't mean to inspire you to go home and like redesign your house. That is not what this is about, but this is an important like revelation, a revealing moment for what has happened culturally in our families and within the church. You see, in that same sort of way, churches used to be designed with fellowship halls. And the sanctuary was the place for the pew and the stage, but the real fellowship and bingo and food happened in the hall at the other end of the campus. This is where potlucks and baby showers and wedding showers and funerals and prayer meetings and like the life of the church actually happened. The first building when we were praying about Planting downtown, the first building I prayer walked is this old, it's called Westchester Baptist. It's on CN 20th. And it's this tiny little beautiful white steeple church. And as I prayer walked around there, I did not dream of the sanctuary. I dreamed of the fellowship hall behind the sanctuary. Like that was the place that got my heart and my soul excited. Asking that Jesus, could we become a community that like, like enthrones or centralizes the fellowship hall again? Could we be a community that like does community so well that we use the, the fellowship hall more than we use the sanctuary? If I were to very unscientifically ascribe some of the effects on the church decentralizing the idea of table or the fellowship hall or table time together, it would include the following. I think by decentralizing, by eliminating the table as a part of doing family as a church together, we have ended up with a hyper-individualization of the Christian faith. We have ended up where uh, church is no longer a place of belonging. Like there's a lack of belonging in the church. There is a lack of openness to Christians who think, believe, or feel differently than you do. There's an increase of divisiveness or division within the church. There is decreased honesty and increased superficiality within the church. We have increased cultural and political polarization within the church. An increase in gossip and backbiting and slander amongst the body of Christ. And most generally, the exaltation of self as priority over the preference of a brother or sister in Christ whom you claim to follow Jesus with. 
the exaltation of self over community or a brother or a sister. I think all of these things have allowed to like foster and grow and take root in the church because the table is no longer at its center. The fellowship hall, if I would say, is no longer at its center. You see, it's really hard to speak negatively about someone you're in community with when every Sunday you sit across from the table as them. It's really hard if, if I have an issue with someone in our community and we break bread together every week and sit across from the table. I can't just like carry that thing in my heart. I mean, I could, it would destroy me and our relationship, but the, the healthy invitation of the way of Jesus is that as we f- like functionally and practically live into being the church together, that we would mature in health and unity as we grow in these things. It's, it's easy to have division when we never have to sit at the same table. It's easy to lack unity or compassion or empathy or the desire to understand if we never really know each other. It's a bit of where songs and stories comes from from the very beginning. Our desire was to create a space where we came and, like, we came and broke bread together in this building, this desire of small community practiced on a big scale on Sunday morning. You see, I think doing away with the table has made the church more judgmental, more distant, and more divisive than likely ever before. If you want entire churches to get along well, at a superficial level, then you can just create a space where everyone exists in a bubble where you never have to confront your differences with one another. You never have to sit at a table together and figure out that like, yes, we disagree on these things, but because of our love for Jesus, we can choose love for one another. And I don't demonize you for thinking a certain way or believing a certain thing because at the end of the day, like we can sit down and break bread together because of who Jesus is. It would be easier if we just stuck to highs and lows on a Sunday morning and a Lord bless you on the way out. That would be easier, but it would not be more beautiful. And I think one of the great invitations, the convictions that we carry is that like Jesus with the church would river and way be beautiful. Could we be a community who pursues things that lead to health and beauty, not just for a moment, but for like a generation? That that would be the inheritance of our children is like something more beautiful and more healthy than what we inherited. And I think who leads the way in this is not me, is not our leadership team, it's Jesus. If anything, Jesus gives us this picture of life together around the table. If you don't remember, one of the great critiques from religious elite is that Jesus, the supposed Messiah, cannot be the Messiah because he is too regularly eating with tax collectors and sinners. You see, Jesus, his words and his ministry seem to have a high emphasis on food and table. In Matthew 11, in comparing John the Baptist, the consumer of locusts and honey, To Jesus, he is described as the son of man came eating and drinking. And they said about Jesus, here is a glutton and a drunkard. You see, I think like table, food, eating together is deeply important 
to living life together, to pursuing and following Jesus as a family together. From the author Luke, we see 23 parables that come from Jesus, 15 of those. 15 of those 23 feature food as the central analogy. Upon Jesus' resurrection, when the disciples recognize who he is in John 21, Jesus is cooking fish over a fire for breakfast. Jesus' first miracle is when he's at a party and they run low on wine, so Jesus turns water into wine. And you see, Jesus throughout all the gospels is eating and drinking with those around him. He's doing life. He's sharing who he is with those around him. And it's a bit odd if you really think about it for just a bit because Jesus actually has no home. Jesus is like the perpetual guest who is hosting. It's this interesting spiritual gift. But the reality is, um, like Jesus doesn't, just host. He's not just like setting the tables and making good food, although I would argue that's important kingdom work, but he uses food and the table as the primary place for teaching, for the formation of life, for the way that we are invited to follow him. For all of the young families in our church, and there are some and many, like we often wonder, myself included, like where do we have time to disciple our kids? Where do we have time to practice family worship or to read devotion? And I would just say for generations, the answer has been the table is where you have time. The table is the solution to often the problems that, that we want to integrate into our family life, but we put them in this like high spiritual bucket rather than this like, no, let's just follow Jesus together and break bread together over long meals and we'll work on patience and obedience and all of our doubts and struggles and what it looks like to follow Jesus. All of that ought to be sewn into table life together. You see, the table, the mealtime, is intended to be a place of teaching and discipleship. It's where we learn our stories and our parents' stories and our grandparents' stories. It is where we learn, like the table. Imagine for a second in your childhood if the table was the place where you learned who you really are. Where you're, like, who God made you to be was fostered and shepherded and grown into who you were becoming. That the table, the family unit that you're a part of, like helps you shape and form to be the person God created you to be. And there's no better place to see this example than time and time again in the life of Jesus. Like the table is where Jesus teaches us how to live. It's where Jesus teaches us about life. In Luke 5, 27 through 32, Jesus is at Levi's house. And Levi has prepared a great banquet for Jesus. And we see Jesus that explain that he has not come to call the righteous, but he's come to call the sick to repentance. You see, we see Christ on mission to the world while at the table. And then later we see Jesus at Simon's house for dinner and a woman shows up with an alabaster jar worth a year's worth of wages. And she comes and lavishes the feet of Jesus. And Jesus tells a story about men who have different wages, but both are forgiven, and how the person who is forgiven more will love more. We see Jesus revealing the grace of God to the world while at the table. In Luke 9, verse 10 through 17, we see the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. 
But while Jesus is feeding the 5,000, he's healing people and teaching them about the kingdom of God. We see Jesus revealing the kingdom of God to many while eating bread and fish together. At a supper in Bethany, Luke 10, 38, with Mary and Martha, we see Jesus emphasize relationship with him over work or service. We see Jesus affirm and prioritize that sitting in his presence with him at his feet is the better thing. We see Jesus teaching us about prioritizing relationship with him while Jesus is where? At the table. In Luke 11, Jesus is invited to eat and dine by a Pharisee and he obliges, he comes to the house. He does not wash up before dinner. He does not make himself clean by cultural standard. And this is not because Jesus is like anti-shower or anti-hygiene, but because washing has become this external symbol of holiness. And by not washing, Jesus creates a situation where he surfaces false holiness. He brings it to the surface. And then he commands or he directs or he invites the Pharisees to, to live in a different sort of way, to live in a truly holy way. We see Jesus instruct about holiness while eating at the table with the Pharisees. Later on in Luke, Jesus goes to the house of another Pharisee. They have a debate whether it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not. And Jesus, like Jesus heals people on the Sabbath. So this question gets really awkward really quickly. And then Jesus uses his two analogies in Luke 14. The two analogies he uses are of a banquet and a party, both food scenarios. Are you getting the picture? Like this is, this is really, really, really important to Jesus. In Luke 14, Jesus again explains the kingdom of God to people while around the table. As Jesus introduces the Last Supper in Luke 22, we see Jesus uh, introduce what it looks like to be a disciple of his. We see Jesus teach us about how to follow after him in the kingdom of God in Luke 22. And then post, like post-resurrection, Jesus appears to two people on the road to Emmaus. And he walks them through the story of the scriptures. This is in Luke 24, 13 through 35. And then they are going to eat dinner because they've, they've gotten to their destination and Jesus is gonna keep going. And they're like, no, come eat with us, come eat with us, come eat with us. And then Jesus does this uh, like amazing thing. He comes in and he blesses the food and he breaks bread and then they like immediately know that Jesus is the Messiah. Like there's, there's, there's this beauty in the author of that story, the way Luke writes it, like the broken bread reveals who Jesus is. And their eyes and their hearts are opened. But Jesus in this story teaches us about living incarnationally and intentionally around the table. Jesus explains who he is, explains the Messiah throughout all of the scriptures while at the table. And right after that story, Jesus appears to his male and female disciples. I'm almost done, I promise. And explains that he had to die because of the, all the words of Moses had to be fulfilled in Luke 24, 36 through 44. Around the table, Jesus explains the reasons for the Messiah, the reasons the Messiah had to come. Are you seeing the picture of where life happens for Jesus? 
Are you seeing the picture of Jesus' primary stage as a disciple maker is not on a Sunday morning behind a pulpit. It is around the table with his followers as he's teaching them about how to follow, how to obey, how to honor God in all of life. It's all built around the altar that is the table. And part of the beautiful part about the scriptures is like, this is just in the book of Luke. Like we could talk about the Old Testament for a long time and everything post Luke for a long time. And we'll touch into that a little bit, but it's important that we understand that like central to the life of Jesus, central to disciple making is the table for Jesus. You see, the first command in the Bible from God in Genesis is that mankind is free to eat. And the last command in Revelation is that mankind is like they're free to drink. This is like deeply human experience about communion with God and communion with one another. The entire scriptures, the entire story of God is filled with tables and food and drink and banquets and feasts. And I think it would be wise of us to catch vision for the inbreaking kingdom of God in this way, filled with tables and food and banquets and feasts. It's, it's like quite literally, it's the reason we do food so much here at River and Way. Like we really believe this is important to the kingdom. You see, when it comes to God's people, I often say we're coming up on our night of lament, which I highly encourage you to be there in December, December 21st. And when we talk about lament, one of the things I say often is God's people have always been people of praise and God's people have always been people of lament. And we'll dive into that when we get to that teaching in December. But I want us to catch vision today that God's people have always been people who at the center of their life is the table is eating and drinking and breaking bread together. Food and the table is central to Israelite culture. And one of the many ways that we see this is that God often institutes meals as a way of remembering what God has done. God institutes feasts as a way of remembering God's faithfulness and God's story. Take the Feast of Unleavened Bread. On the backside of Passover, the Israelites are supposed to remember the Feast of Unleavened Bread where they had to flee Egypt without their bread having time to rise. They remember the deliverance of God from the way they prepare their food. And God, in that story, gives them a meal, a feast to commemorate it, to remember it, to embody it again or the feast of the first fruits where Israel would come to honor and thank God for the harvest and they would celebrate God's provision. And we read this and think in our minds about abundant provision, but it could have been a drought year. It could have been like a little provision, not necessarily abundant provision, but still there is a feast instituted that they would come and celebrate whatever it was that God had provided or the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Trumpets, or the Day of Atonement, like the list goes on and on in the Old Testament story. Or my favorite, the Feast of Passover, where God's people are to make a specific meal, a Seder meal, 
to remember God's saving of his people from the death that occurred to the firstborn male of the Egyptians. God institutes a meal to mark the salvation story of the Old Testament. You see, the center of Jewish life was not like sacrifice to animals, but the telling of stories around a meal at a table. And its high point in the year was this meal, Passover meal or Seder meal. What is beautiful about this meal is that the father, it is not the father's responsibility to pass down the story. That is not how the meal is designed with dad teaching at the center, but the meal itself is the teacher of the story. The meal tells the Jewish story of salvation and deliverance. The lighting of candles to tell us about God's presence, that he would illuminate again in the world. The unleavened bread to remind us about the fleeing of Egypt. The bitter herbs to tell us about the oppression and the enslavement of all of Israel. The parsley dipped in salt to tell us of the coming spring and one day hope while it is dipped in salt water to remind us of the bitter tears. The cup of plagues and the Passover lamb whose blood was shed on our behalf. The egg to remind us of the destruction of the temple. This meal tells a story. At the center of the high moment for God's people is a story sewn into a meal around the table together. The Seder meal carried deep importance, not just to practice it because God said so, but to practice it because this is where the story lives. It lives at the table. It lives in shared life together. It lives not only in our words, but like on our taste buds. The story is about incarnation. The story is about God on earth redeeming and renewing things. The story is about the story becoming your story. The story of Passover is about the story becoming your story. And the way that the Hebrews did that was through feasting and fasting, through food and table together. And Jesus picks up that story. What does Jesus give you and I to commemorate his life, death, resurrection, and ascension? He gives us the bread and the cup. There's something unique to the bread and the cup that separates it from ordinary mealtime, but at the very same time, there's something very ordinary about the bread and the cup, about bread and wine that connects it with ordinary mealtime. I think Jesus wants us to remember with our bodies, hearts, soul, and mind, with all that we are, that as we practice remembering him every time we gather around the table with intentionality, I think the invitation of the bread and the cup is to see like us gathering around the table when we're intentional with that time that we regularly celebrate and remember the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. That mealtime becomes a sacred time where we remember with our bodies and our prayers that Jesus, the bread of life, gives us life. Because in the same way as Passover feast, we have been given a meal and sometimes we reduce it to bread and wine but other times we sit around the table and we eat cinnamon rolls and whatever the thing Jake Coates makes, every songs and stories and all of the delicious food that you all come and bring as we like feast together. 
is we commemorate the, like, do you not think just for a second that Jesus, when he looks down and sees his people feasting together, that that like glorifies and honors his name? I don't think it's just reserved for like the gluten-free cracker and the watered-down juice. I think it is like for the beauty of sharing meal together. It is for the beauty of breaking homemade bread together, drinking good wine together, whatever the thing is, whatever the mechanism is, the invitation to share life and commune with God and one another together. The author, Leonard Sweet, in his book, From Tablets to Tables, says this, the new Passover Jesus presented was an invitation to a Lord's table where Jesus would always be present, where the offering of food and drink in the name of Jesus would transform whatever the meal, whatever the time of year, into a banquet. And I think what Leonard Sweet is saying is that like it's not about the micro version, it's about the big picture story that God is inviting us into as we break bread and share life together around the table. One scholar would suggest that like when Jesus is inviting people to remember, he is not just saying, saying like take the cracker and the cup, he is saying like take the meal with you wherever you go. This is the thing you ought to share with the world. This is the, the peace of who I am that ought to live on in Christianity, in Christendom, in the kingdom of God community. That, that there's always food and there's always room at the table. And the reality is like participating in life together around a table does not fix everything, not right now. It does not make the hurt and the pain or the difficulty of life goes away. But what the table does give us is a vision of a way of life that is bound up in the person of Jesus. The unhurried, present, delight, rest, slow, like a tree growing roots, not some like quick 12 minute meal that's over before it even began. But the reality is, and this is reality, one day the table will move from a place where we remember and celebrate to a place that is central with our being face-to-face -face present with God. I wanna read Revelation 19, verse six through nine again. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty, mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, his church, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Verse nine, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. You see, our, our story, the Christian story, the story of God culminates when we are with Christ again at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Like our story ends with a feast with God. That is one of the closing pictures of the book of Revelation. Because as even Michael was praying for his friend, like one day our life will end. And we will find ourselves, like, we will find ourselves 
as we follow Jesus and give our life to him, we will find ourselves at the banquet table of Christ himself that he has set. At the marriage supper of the lamb where his church celebrates communion, not just like bread and cup, but we like feast together with God, fully present to him as Adam and Eve were in the garden. And while there are many closing pictures in the book of Revelation, it is not by accident that one of them is that a table with Christ. Just as we practice church around the table with Christ, just as we practice communion today in a small way, like may our hearts catch vision that like what, what the story is fulfilled in is when we sit with Christ and the invitation, because that is a present true reality, that is going to happen one day in the future, the invitation is we become the people who begin to practice that now, who practice communion with God and communion with one another in a deep and meaningful, slow, delightful way now. Let's pray. Jesus, we uh, thank you for your life. We thank you for the picture of what life means through you. We thank you that um, it is by your love for us, your kindness for us that has led us to repentance and that your desire one day will be in full that like we sit around the table together and we feast well. And so God, would you um, even now like have the Holy Spirit just work in our hearts Spirit, would you just stir up, um, would you stir up our hearts, the places in our hearts that keep us from places of intimacy and places of vulnerability? Would you stir it up in us the things that you desire and want to do in our lives as we continue to like practice the way of Jesus together but continue to be redeemed and reconciled and renewed? Jesus, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you shape us and would you form us? Just as we come to sing, God, we give ourselves to you again. We long, like we long to commune with you. And one day while we get to do that in full, we get to do that today as well. The present reality is that we get to commune, to have union with the person of Jesus today. So Holy Spirit, would you awaken that present reality in our hearts as we find ourselves delighting in your presence, as we worship you, Jesus. We love you and we thank you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.